All right, well, let's let's do a little special spring football edition of the 11 Dubcast. And to that, I, John Aginter, have, have brought on our intrepid reporters here. We've got Dan Hope. We've got Colin Hill. Thank you guys so much for coming on and, and talking a little bit about what I think everybody really wants to talk about during the spring, uh, which is, in terms of revenue sports anyway, which is football. So thank you guys both for being here. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having us on. So I want to start off with this because every, you know, it's on every child, man, woman, child's, uh, you know, lips as we're, we're getting into spring football. Everybody wants to know how, uh, you know, Fields, Justin Fields is progressing and what he looks like. You know, is, is he the real deal? Is, is you know, chugging off, is, is he going to like press him for playing time, which I hope nobody genuinely thinks that's a real thing. Um, but I just want to kind of get your impressions, both of you guys. How is Fields doing, um, you know, in the limited time that you've been able to see him? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, from what I saw the first couple of days, you know, I think he was up and down from what we saw in the, the one hour that was open to practice. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's two hours of practice. It's the first couple of days. Everyone wants you to overanalyze it. I don't know how smart that is to overanalyze because I can think back to a year ago and people were saying, ah, oh, Dwayne didn't look that great in practice today. And, well, we saw what happened there, so. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go on and say, oh, he looked fantastic in practice because that would be lying. But I also think that we're, we're two days into practice. You would expect him to not look stellar in his first two practices with a new team. Uh, so I think you expect some up and downs, and I think that's what uh, we've seen so far. But, you know, I think the biggest takeaway is just that he, he is getting the first reps at the position. He does certainly seem to be in line to be the starting quarterback. I know, you know, there's a battle between him and Matthew Baldwin, and that's something they're probably going to keep up all spring. But uh, I think it's certainly Justin Fields' job to lose as long as he makes the, the consistent progression uh, and does continue to look better as the spring progresses each week. Colin, would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think, um, I mean, I think it's really important to realize what we're seeing too, because I got a kick out. There was a, there's a forum post on 11 Warriors uh, after one of the last <laughs> practices that said, it said something to the effect of, well, with the way that Matthew Baldwin's slinging it, should we be worried that Ohio State's going to lose him to transfer after this year? And I was like, um, well, they practiced twice right now. He's never even played a snap. So that, 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 that did not come top of mind to me. Now, that being said, um, like, like Dan said, it's, it, it, they're early. So, I mean, you never, you, you, you never really know right now. It's not like they're scrimmaging. They're not, they're not, they're only doing really, really basic stuff. So like, have they both had their overthrows? Yes, they both have. And have they both had good throws? Yeah. But they've practiced, twice and we've watched two hours of it so to like dan said to overanalyze that would just be pretty ridiculous and, so and, and to dan's point the the main point is that justin fields is taking the first team reps and and that's like for for someone to come in and and baldwin has already been in the program um one year if if it like i think both i'll speak for dan because i think that we've talked about this is if if matthew baldwin was truly in a competition with justin fields he would probably be taking the first team reps, but but that's what everyone's going to be talking about. Is it a true competition? I lean towards no, but I guess we'll have our answer probably by the end of the spring. So Colin Hill, you heard it first on the 11 Dubcast, just predicted 5,000 yards for uh, Justin Fields and <laughs> another 50 touchdowns. 
Um, and, and that's and look, those are both really reasonable takes. I also think that that is the exact opposite of what Ohio State fans want to hear. Because um, <laughs> I think they want to hear that this guy's going to come in and win four Heismans and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you guys. I think it's, you know, it's, it's really early in the process, but I think it's also pretty obvious that, that Fields is going to be the, the dude. The other question that I want to ask you guys, and I'll, Colin, I'll start with you on this. What is a question that you have, the biggest question that you have going into spring and then even into the summer? Well, I think one of the biggest question to me on the team is offensive line. And the problem with that is you can't really address it in the spring um, right. because Sure, you can, you have you're replacing four starters. I think we all know Thayer Munford at left tackle is going to be returning starter at le, um, left tackle, and but he's out for the spring. So all right, so how are you going to build camaraderie with him? You have to wait on that. Um, and then Jonah Jackson, the Rutgers transfer, who started last year and and started a little bit the year before. Um, I think a lot of people think he's going to come in and win a win a job either at left guard or center. But he's not he's not enrolled yet, so he's not going to be partaking in spring practice. So you have a bunch of guys who are getting the first team reps right now, and I think it's really good for them. But you wonder how, like, how are they going to build the camaraderie? I think that it's it's good right now to see who's going to win the position battles. But um, the cohesion between the rest of the line, I think, is something that we're just not even going to figure out um, throughout spring practice. But Wyatt Davis, I I, I think and his two starts at the end of the year where he was really impressive. I'm, I'm interested to see who's going to win the right tackle battle because that's the biggest question mark I have right now because you have Brandon Bowen who hasn't played in a year and a half, and then you have Joshua Alby who has started once, and Nick Petit-Frere who redshirted last year. And the spring's going to be really important for those three guys. Yeah, I, you know, I think the other big question is, is just, defensively what what's this defense going to look like because there's a brand new coaching staff other than Larry Johnson uh we know the defensive line uh they're still going to have a four man front that's still going to look a lot the same Ryan Day said that when they constructed the coaching staff that was one of the first things they decided is we're going to keep the same defensive line structure that we have with Larry Johnson because of how successful he's been but i think you know, the linebackers, there seems to be a lot of moving parts there right now. Uh, they're, they're, they're working with Brendan White in kind of a hybrid uh, linebacker safety role, but we've also seen uh, Pete Werner still getting first-team first reps there and Jocelyn Wentz at that spot. And, you know, then at the other linebacker spots, they've had Tough Forland and Baron Browning splitting reps. You still have young guys like Taraja Mitchell who could be in line for more playing time this year. And then, you know, in the secondary as well, when you move a guy like Brendan White, potentially a linebacker role, now you've got an open spot at safety. So who's going to start next to Jordan Fuller? Uh, you know, corner, I, I think Jeffrey Okuda, Damon Arnett probably lead the way there with, with Sean Wade uh, factoring in at either cornerback or safety. But uh, there's a lot of moving parts on that defense. We still don't know exactly what it's going to look like in terms of scheme. We certainly don't know exactly what it's going to look like in terms of personnel. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions as spring continues to linger because they have to start somewhere. But these new coaches, they're just getting into the process of really evaluating the personnel they have. So I think as the spring progresses, there's definitely the potential for those depth chart to continue to shake up as guys start to emerge. Dan, I actually, I want to ask you about that. And I want to ask about the guys who are going to be making those decisions, which is the, you know, you've got this incredibly 
overhauled in a lot of ways this coaching staff i mean some of the guys are still there and, and there are some familiar faces but you look especially at the top and the guys who are making the the money right you know the guys who are out there like greg madison and yurchich and, and athlete which of these coaches do you think is going to make the biggest impact on the team like in terms of scheme in terms of how you're going to see how Ohio state plays etc well i was inclined to say jeff halfley because i think what he brings from the NFL uh, in terms of what he's learned there. I, I think he's somebody who truly is a rising star in the coaching industry. And I, and I think he's someone who, you know, really has a lot of potential uh, to be a future head coach uh, or, you know, whatever he wants to be, because I, I think that he's a very smart football mind. And I think he's going to bring a lot to the defense, but then I see the salaries come out yesterday and I see Greg Madison, is making $1.1 million, which is more than any of the other coaches. And that tells me that Greg Madison is the guy who's ultimately going to have to answer for the defense this year. And then when I think you look at what Ryan Day's role is going to be, Ryan Day is going to continue to be integrally involved in the offense. He's still going to call plays. So Mike Yurcich is only going to have so much ability to influence that offense. There, There are going to be new things he brings but it's going to be Ryan Day's offense. Ryan Day is still going to have ultimate say over what that offense is going to look like. So I think that limits Yurkic a little bit just in terms of how much authority he's going to have to, to, to determine how the offense looks. And, you know, special teams, Day's going to be involved there. But I, I think much like with Urban, I think the defense is going to be mostly relying on the defensive coaches. And I think they're all going to have a – opportunity to have their influence on that side of a ball but i think the fact that greg madison is being paid 1.1 million the fact that he doesn't even have a specific position group that he's working with that means he's <laughs> going to be the guy he's going to be the guy who's ultimately calling the plays on set on on saturday jeff halfley will probably have to say in that too but madison's going to ultimately be the guy who has the final say on what plays are called he's going to ultimately have the final say on what the scheme's going to look like so I think that makes him the guy who really we, – we've talked about it ad nauseum. This defense has to be a lot better than it was last year. Oh, yeah. Greg Madison is now the guy of all those coaches. They, they all have a say in this. But I think Greg Madison now more than anyone else is the guy who's going to be looked to as you're the one who's responsible for making this defense better. And if that doesn't happen, he's going to be the one who has to answer for it. Right. Greg Madison's in like the greatest position ever. Like he's following someone who he's following Greg Schiano and Alex Grenchu, who I think a lot of people think highly. Well, I mean, Bill Belichick just hired Greg Schiano and Alex Grinch just got a giant raise to be Oklahoma's defensive coordinator. And yet they put together a defense that was statistically one of the worst in Ohio State history. Um, the talent on defense, they brought back a lot of guys. And, 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 I, and I think, and I think that a lot of them are talented. I just, I don't know, they just couldn't put it together last year, and this is a golden opportunity for both Madison and Halfway because I think if you look at it position by position, there's a lot there, there's a lot to like about the defensive talent individually. It's just putting them together. What I think is really interesting, and I'm glad you said that about the talent especially, because Ohio State has a really, really tough schedule next season. Like there, there's there's a lot that is going to challenge them in a lot of different ways. And I am personally, like I am really fascinated by the process of how coaches build a team and the, and the evolution of teams uh, over the course of a season. 
And now, obviously, because we've got this entirely new coaching regime, you've got a new a new guy who's never been a head coach. You've got all these different assistant coaches. You've got a lot of players who are going to be stepping into leading like leadership roles for the first time. That is just so much transition and so much which is like new. And I don't I mean, I'm not going to try to pigeonhole you guys in early March about like wins and losses or anything like that. But what I do want to ask you is before the team gets to summer camp, what is the number one thing they have to have completely decided and figured out before the season starts? Yeah, they better have a quarterback. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll <figure> <laughs> there's, there's no doubt in my mind that they have to have a quarterback. Sure. I mean, there, there isn't even – they have to exit spring with a quarterback. The, whoever's going to start is going to be a first-year starter. And if it's Fields, then Fields will have been in the program at the end of spring for just like four months or so. So if he's going to start, he can't figure that out a, a, a couple of weeks before the season. They have to know that going in. And the same with Baldwin. Um, so yeah, sorry, Dan. I just jumped on the easy one there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh, you both, yeah, no. I want to know. I want to know what Dan thinks on that too, because it's just to me there is so many different uh, you know balls that are up in the air right now that that Ryan Day is trying to juggle, and I like what is the one that he's got to make sure that he gets a beat on. Yeah, I mean, Colin, Colin's right. That's number one. I mean, you, you have to have a solid plan in place at the quarterback position going into going into fall camp you know whether this is a battle a true battle or not by the end of the spring you have to make a decision on okay Justin Fields if he's our guy we move forward with him uh, we go forward into the fall and it's his offense because you you don't want to be splitting first team reps throughout throughout fall camp you want to have one guy in place who's really uh, building that offense around him building that rapport with his receivers I think that's the most important thing. And then, you know, I'll just go back to the to the defense again. You got to know how that's going to look. Uh, Ryan Day talked last week when he was asked about Brendan White and him moving. He said, "We're trying a lot of different things with him. We think there's a lot of different things he can do." And you can see it when you watch practice. Sometimes he's at linebacker. Sometimes he's at safety. Uh, sometimes Sean Wade's at corner. Sometimes he's at safety. Uh, sometimes Amir Reap's at corner. Sometimes he's at safety. They're moving a lot of different guys around. But I think. Coming out of spring, you need to have an idea of, okay, this guy's going to play this position. This guy's going to play this position. This is how our defense is going to be schemed up. And now we got to figure out who fits into those roles. I think spring is the perfect time to experiment with moving guys all around and figuring out where the best place is for them. But I think when you go into fall camp, you've got to have a more solid depth chart in place and you've got to know, okay, these are the positions that we want these guys to play this season as you start preparing for that first game. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with that. And I would also say that this is probably, just by virtue of that experimentation that I think is going to have to go on, this is probably the most excited I've been for a spring game coming up in, in, in many, many years. So I think, you know, it'll be a lot of fun to see how that works out. All right, so we're going to get to ask us anything. I'm going to have you guys actually help us out with that a little bit. But before we do that, I just got some quick hitters. I want you guys to just quickly respond to these and, uh, you know, just random basic stuff about the team that you know so far about them. First of all, number one, uh, who's going to be the best interview on the team? Best interview on the team. I think Haskins was the guy last year for me. And so now you're replacing that. Andy was the quarterback. 
Yeah, nobody's, yeah, nobody's stepped up yet. We got to have somebody on the team. We got to have a Tyvis. We got to have a Kirk Bart. We got to have somebody who's going to come on. Robert, Robert, Robert Landers is always good. Robert Landers is always good. Good. He's always got he's always got a lot to say, and I imagine he's a guy who will probably uh, be trotted out even more of this year now that he's a senior. So he he's a guy who comes to mind. He's got a real good personality um, and always has something good to say. All right. Yeah, I'll go um, Landers. He's great. Yeah, yeah, everything and everything that he's done. I hope he keeps up the cowboy thing for the rest of his like entire <laughs> life, frankly, and just evolves yeah. into Dan Wilkinson. Um, so, <laughs> uh, next question: Who, you know, who's the fastest dude on the team? Simple as that. I, I from what I've seen, I think Jalen Jalen Gill looks pretty fast. Just watching okay. him in the two, two practices, he's a guy you can see when he gets going. Uh, he he can he can burn so. Uh, I, I think it could be him. Colin, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I might, I might have to double down on that. I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. I mean, Demario's right there. <laughs> All right, <laughs> well, that's actually – I want to tell you something. I'm glad you said Demario because that was my next question. Is this the year that Demario McCall does something that we can talk about outside of Slack? I'm a maybe on that one. I, I'm just not sure what his role is going to be. I, I think okay. that he's got an opening right now at running back because there's nobody proven behind J.K. Dobbins. So that that's an opportunity for him. But it, it just seems like they haven't quite been able to find the right role for him. So I'm kind of on the fence there. My answer is depends on your expectation because I think his best case <laughs> scenario is third down back who maybe gets some H-back reps too. And gotcha. I don't know what that evolves into, but I don't see him as a guy who's going to be a featured part of the offense. Yeah, I don't think he's Curtis Samuel at this point. Right. Nope. Yeah, I would agree with that, which is unfortunate because I think that's kind of what we wanted from him, uh, just, you know, selfishly maybe a little bit. Hey, Last if question. JK, if JK leaves and, K, and KJ will be gone, there is totally an opening next year. Yeah, there you go. Uh, last question, and maybe this is kind of related, um, but who is the second leading receiver on the team in 2019? I, I'm I'm saying if we're if we're going KJ Hill number one, then Chris Olave right. number two. Yep. Yeah, I, I think Chris Olave for sure. Yeah, I think he's going to have a breakout year. I think that dude is is legit, and I, I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch those two guys. Uh, I think honestly, that may be one of the more underrated duos. I think by the time the football season actually starts, I think they'll be really good, um, especially towards the end of the season. All right, thank you guys for doing that. We have ask us anything, and I want you guys to contribute. And, and honestly, I've been looking over the questions this week, gentlemen, and we have one that is very specifically oriented to your job. So I'm actually really excited for that. Uh, so I'll just keep you for a couple of minutes. If you guys want to continue to send us questions to ask us anything, it's dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast. And let's get started here. I've got, like I said, we've got a, a whole roster of questions, so I may keep a couple in my pocket uh, for next time here. But um, the first question here is from our, uh, it's from our good friend, uh, well, this is Suncard, I guess. So Suncard basically wants to know, let's say in a, in a beautiful, amazing, hypothetical world where everything goes great, if Ryan Day wins a national championship in his first year, can he say that this is truly his national championship? Or And, and granted, yeah, the eternal optimism of Ohio State fans. Uh, can he say that this is his championship, or will people give Urban Meyer credit? I, I'd give him credit. You're the one coaching the games. You're, 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 you're the one who's got to keep it together. Plus, 
we just talked about who the starting quarterback on the team is going to be. Urban Meyer had nothing to do with bringing Justin Fields to Ohio State. That was right. all Ryan Day. So I think uh, I'm not predicting them to win a national championship right now, but I think if, if they win a national championship, uh, it's, it's Ryan Day's national championship. Double down on that. It's all Ryan Day. Awesome. Okay, no, I, I'm I'm down with that as well. All right, let me ask you guys this. This is the one that I really wanted to ask both of you. Um, and this is from Bill Medina. He wants to know, do you think as a beat reporter, it is better or worse to be a fan of the team that you cover? And I'm not, not saying, I want to elaborate on this a little bit. So for example, and this is what he says, I've heard people say that if you are a fan, you're more passionate, commit more time and energy to cover the program. I've heard others say that by not being a fan, you can give more of a fair and unbiased take on the team. So what do you guys think about that? Is it as, as guys who are, I think generally, you know, enjoy Ohio state sports, how does that impact your jobs? Yeah. I mean, I've always tried to stay, stay objective, stay as neutral as possible. And I, and I've always felt that that uh, is what is how I do my job best. I, I think that, um, you know, I think that the, the medium has changed so much in recent years that I think there was a time where it was totally frowned upon for someone to be a fan and cover the team. And now that's just kind of become more of an accepted part of the culture as, you know, the internet has boomed and as, as the media landscape has changed so much, uh, there's so many people who have their different niches. And I think there's certain people out there who are good at being the, the fan you know, kind of mixing that beat, beat reporter with the fan element. I think there's people who do that well. Personally, I try to just be an objective beat reporter, and I think that is how I do my job best. And I think for the most part, that's how people do their job best, because I think that when you get, when you are emotionally invested, you're not always writing in terms of, you know, what's actually logic or based in fact. And I think you can be too prone to not just being a homer, as people might think, but I also think, you know, especially see it with Ohio State fans a lot, that a lot of times people tend to be too negative. Because a lot of times it's, you know, I, you know, I think I can remember times last year where it's like you'd write something positive about Ohio State and people would just be, well, the defense sucks. And I think if you're if you're like if you're so emotionally invested in that, then it's it, it's if you're mad about the way the team's playing, that's probably going to slant your writing. Whereas I think if you're just objective and neutral and just try to to look at it at a broad view, I think most of the time that's going to lead to more reasoned, more fact-based writing. So that's the way I approach it. I've become open to the idea that there's more approaches in nowadays media landscape, but I do think that as a beat reporter, you have to be able to temper it. You cannot, you cannot just be pro Ohio state all the time or pro whatever you team you cover all the time. You have to be able to temper it. You have to be able to see things from both sides and you can't just watch the game through scarlet and gray glasses. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Colin, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Dan said. I I went I went to Ohio State and just like Dan did, but I'm I haven't ever rooted for Ohio State in my life. I, I grew up a West Virginia fan, and and I'm still a West Virginia fan. And to be honest, I don't think I'd be as good of a beat writer covering West Virginia. I like there's just there's such a there's an emotional attachment there, and it's just 
you just view your team differently than someone who's an objective reporter of the team should. There's just there's something that that that's to be said about the ability to look at something without being like, oh, I really wish they did this. I wish they did that rather than what should they have done? Because I think that it's important. To, I, I just, I always think it's important to have people on the beat who are objective, who aren't fans of the team, because I think that there is a place for people who are fans of the team. Like Dan said, it's changed a lot. And a lot of people want that. Um, but to give the best coverage of the team, the most objective, about here's here's what they should have done, here's what they did well, here's what they didn't do well. You can't just be like, oh, I wish they did that. Oh, I thought that the, I I really like this guy's play. Uh, I I just think that you can't do that and be be the best that you can be at it. Yeah, I you know it's it, I'm really glad that that question was asked this week because I wanted to ask you it ask you guys that, and I also wanted to kind of. I mean, it's something that I ruminate on. I think about a lot because at 11 Warriors, we have to straddle that line, right? Like it's, it's not a purely, it's, it's not a traditional news site in the sense that, you know, even cleveland.com or the dispatch or something would be. But on the other hand, it's obviously like you guys are very professional in what you do. You're both very good at it. And I, I know you guys both take what you do very seriously, which is the craft of actually, you know, reporting and, and journalism in general. And, you know, as a guy like the, I write stuff about nacho cheese and air bud and, you know, and it's like, and I try to be objective, but obviously like my niche isn't the same one that you guys have. And it's, to me, it's just kind of fascinating to see how people react to that because it is kind of a little bit of like, as a site, you've got to be able to have these, you know, competing, I guess, ideas in your head about how to report on a team. And it's just very interesting to me how we handle that at 11 Warriors and how you guys individually handle it because your job is so much different than other guys. And I think, first of all, I think unequivocally you guys do a great job and, and you have done a great job um, managing that. But the the landscape is totally different than it used to be. It is totally different. Yeah. And even, and I'm speaking as a dude who started with 11 Warriors in 2010 and like I, even in that relatively short time period, it has just evolved so much and it's, it's just mind blowing to me how different the expectations have become for uh, 11 warriors and other sites that report on, you know, any kind of college sports at all. I just think it's fascinating. Um, yeah, and I think that there's a place for both. Like you referenced the sure, yeah. story and I told, and I remember that because I think I wrote about um, the basketball team wearing shirts with black inventors and they were just side by side on the front of the front of the site. <laughs> and you know what? It was okay. Everything was okay. There were there, people read them both. Right, right, and that's the thing. And that's the way I think that's the way the media, the, the sports media, kind of works nowadays. And it's it's weird, especially for people who've been in the game for a long time. But it's I just think that's kind of the way it's going. And that's it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think both sides have to be professional about it. And I'm I'm forever grateful that both of you dudes are. Uh, Cause that's, that's really helpful for us in general. Last question I want to ask. All right. So this is a question that I think is beneficial to ask beat writers and guys who travel a lot about this, but what is a, and this is from, this is from Terry. What is a, a road game, not necessarily in the big 10, but a road game experience that you would love to be able to take in as someone reporting on the team? There's, right. there's a my lot of works. Uh, yeah, you go ahead, Colin. I was just gonna say that's my mind works, and I'll like I don't know if something sprang to mind sprang to mind for you, but 
it was definitely the Rose Bowl, and then we just did it, <laughs> and it was, it was pretty great. I'm I'm gonna be honest, um, Dan. I don't know if there there was another one that came to mind real quick with you. Yeah, that was certainly uh, certainly one of the top ones of my bucket list in terms of a bowl game. You know, I I think in terms of teams like you know I think like like Texas is one that I think would be really cool. Uh, you know, Alabama, you know, just those different, you know, different campuses, LSU, you know, those are ones that I haven't been to that uh, definitely are near the top of my list. You know, just those traditional college football environments, you know, 100,000 people, much like you have at Ohio State. It's always cool. Uh, the one thing that college football has that is unmatched in any other sport is just getting to see the different environments. It, it's, it's, there's no other sport that compares to that in terms of just the, the different environments and, and home stadiums and just how different and how unique it can be at each different place. Uh, so it's always really fun to get to see different places. You know, I know I went to, uh, I went to Penn State last year the first time. That was really cool, one of, one of the best that I've ever been to. Uh, so it's always cool getting to see different ones. Uh, I'd say those are a few that are on, on my list of ones I'd really like to see it. At some point in my career, guys, yeah, can I, I make a good? Uh, no, good. I was going to say the one that came to mind was definitely a night game in Baton Rouge. I mean, oh, when you yeah, said that, LSU, that that if I could see Alabama play against LSU, night game in Baton Rouge, that that's that's my number one pick. Um, yeah. But like Dan said, Penn State was great. I thought I thought what was it? I think it was now about two years ago when Ohio State played at Wisconsin. That that was pretty great too. Um, and I was. I remember I was with the student TV station on the field, and there there were a couple points where I literally couldn't hear myself talk, and it was just so loud. Yeah, that's I mean, and that's the thing though. Like, I'm I'm glad we were able to ask you that because my outside of like my experience traveling, I just that's one of my biggest sources of shame as an Ohio State fan. I haven't gone to any away football games for Ohio State. I I've only literally the only non-Ohio State home football game that I've ever watched, college football game that I've watched, was a Bowling Green game in 2004, I think. 2003 or 2004. And it was one of the saddest experiences <laughs> my entire life because I had gone to Ohio State games at that point. And then I went to a Bowling Green home game and I was like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, I want, I want, I want to have some of those experiences. I'm going to have to take in uh, an away game here sometime, even if it's in Bloomington. I'll, hell, I'll go. Uh, so I'll have to figure that out. But again, guys, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thank you for giving your insight into spring ball. Uh, talking a little bit about the future as well. Uh, Dan and Colin, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, writing about nacho cheese. Do some more. <laughs> You're welcome.